Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. All right, everybody, welcome. Was that loud? You have a look on your face like it was loud. Just a little bit loud. Probably just your guys' headphones. Uh, probably my yeah. headphones were turned up too loud. I got the junkie, yeah, we got a the junkie headphones. We got to redo the opener to the show. Yeah. After January twentieth of next year. Yeah, I think we'll leave it on there. Just yeah. kind of sunsetting this last little bit here of having mm-hmm. President Obama on our opener, and then yeah. after that we can switch to Trump. Yeah, there we are. It'll be like, <laughs> this is Mortgage Matters. The show's huge. That's right. Trust me. It's big, I, league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big, league. <laughs> big League. Big League. Big League. Big League. Is it Big League or Big League? Big League. Lee? I don't know. League. league. I think it's Big League. league. Like baseball. Big League. Big League. league. Yeah, like yeah. the pros. Uh-huh. Hey. Trust so, me. I got something I got to talk about. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Huh? Beginning yesterday, well, iHeartRadio. No, uh, well, you know, maybe not quite that big, but oh, okay, uh, yeah, but you know, KVC has been on the air since 1937. Wait, let me uh, do the math real quick. Yeah, so almost 80 years. Wow, wow. that's yeah. right. that's good run. So Pertinier. Yes, on 9:20 a.m. and beginning yesterday, uh huh, we began simulcasting on 96.5 FM. Wow. So you can now listen to KVC oh. AM and FM. No so way. we are actually now talking on the FM dial too. Awesome. At 96.5 cool. FM. There's well, and I'm I know this is just kind of one of the mm-hmm. the problems with AM radio, but you know sometimes when you're like listening to AM radio mm-hmm. and you're loving the conversation and then you're driving and you go through a yeah. something where it just then you're gone. Mm-hmm. Does that not happen to you? You're looking at me well, like I'm crazy. That I, happens to me all the time. I've always felt like AM signals carry further. They right? do. Yeah. But they're less they're, staticky on the FM. But if you go like under trees or through a neighborhood, they get all staticky. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, depending on how you maybe like your my, radio. But maybe I've just had weak AM receivers. I don't know. But now we're on 96.5 FM. Also. 96.5 FM. Cool. All right, cool. that's great that news. Cool. We made the flip from, well, no, we didn't make the flip. We're simulcasting. We're on both. Nice. Crazy. Yeah. You told me cool. you had exciting news, and I didn't think it was going to be that great. Yeah. But no, that's so, pretty good news. Yeah. So that's that, cool. Just, that just increased our listenership, <laughs> right. I'm sure. Yeah. Doubting there Dan is. over there. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, awesome. cool, right? Great news. Yeah, I like it's it. awesome. Yeah. I didn't know KVC was on the air for 79 years. Yeah. May 8th, 1937. Shoosh. That's a good run. Announcing plaque in the center of the wall of KVC. That's the first anniversary, May 8th, 1938. So it's May 1937. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Pretty cool, huh? So almost 100 years, May 1938. So next May yeah. is going to be a big deal. May eighth, nineteen, yeah, twenty seventeen will be the eighty year anniversary. Eighty year anniversary. Yeah. That's going to be a big one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. Maybe we'll get like a free shirt or something. Hey, I've got some <laughs> news for are. you, Jim. Cool. 
Because since we've been spending Saturday mornings with you for the greater part of a decade, yeah, we just extended our contract. It's all finalized. The details awesome. are in ink. We'll cool. be here for year number 80 on KVC. <laughs> See, there it is. Wait, Very it's good. Not our 80th. Not year. our 80, we'll but. We'll be here for KVC's 80th year. Awesome. Was it That's just great. a one year extension we did? Yeah. I yeah. think your guys are going to be here longer than that, but. We'll see. We have a but. player option. We can maybe pick up <laughs> if things go well. Yeah. Well, I think we're doing good. In fact, that's awesome. So lots of good news here. Yeah. New contract on the FM dial also, too, at 96.5. No kidding. So there we go. Cool. What was 96.5 before? I don't know. Was it just static? Yeah, I think <laughs> it was just static. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was just static, possibly. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I can actually see now. No. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool. I think I have one more surprise for you guys, both of you. We're going to have a guest today. Oh, yeah. Bruce Freeberg. Mr. Freeberg. Is from coming Patterson in. Realty. Yeah. Cool. Going to come in and. This is going to kind of screw us up a little bit, but I, I can switch your headphones and you can hear. Then I can hear what Dan hears. That's that was the FM. Oh, there oh, it is. It you just heard her. Yeah. <laughs> there it is in the FM. Wow, it sounds so good in FM. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. there it is. Or, right. or exactly the All same. Right. So but we won't do that anymore because that kind of screws <laughs> but us up. Hey, but anyway. for anybody that's listening, if yeah. you're in an area where you get like spotty reception, then you can switch over to FM. Yeah, pretty cool. Ninety-six point five. There it is. It'll be fun to have Bruce on. He's going to come on at 10. And uh, I want to I find out what's going on out there in the real estate market. This week was a little scary quiet in the office, don't you think? Yeah, it's that. It's November, which is always a little bit sleepy. Yeah, the week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, and uh, but also we've been coming to grips with this new president and these new slightly higher rates. Slightly higher. That's funny. I was gonna come in here and talk about the rate hike that occurred. Oh, wait, we haven't even we haven't even had what rate hike. We've just seen rates go higher. Well, don't forget now hike. the feds are meeting up here in a couple weeks to. Is it gonna matter whatsoever? The markets have moved. The markets have moved, and I was reading a ton of articles that just kept saying, hey, you'd be foolish now to think you were getting anything but a rate hike. Oh, but yeah. now since the election, it's kind of like, all right, with this new rate hike that we're already wearing and trying to figure out how to deal in this, do you think they just pile on and slap you a... 25 basis point rate hike across the board? Do yes, you think that's going to I think absolutely oh, that's going to happen. I'm airing back on the other side no of way. they're going to they look at it and go. They all said they're going to raise rates this week through some testimony that we heard. All but said it. They all but said it at the it's October meeting, the November meeting. Know, it's big talk. It's it's going to happen. It's, I'm thinking not. I think the markets have moved ahead of it. I'm thinking not. And anything. Anything other than a rate hike will only, you know, cause more volatility. That's what I I believe. I, really? I think these markets have just moved ahead of 
what is now inevitable, which is a rate hike All right, at well the upcoming meeting. Let me just track what you're suggesting then and make sure that I'm I'm digesting this the same way. Because mainly what I when you say they're going to hike the rate, I'm picturing like the the 10-year bond yield this week. What's, what no, we, no, no. The Fed doesn't control the 10-year No, I know, but I'm wanting yield. to know. Do you think this thing is going up to two and a half after they make I, this no, rate hike? I am not suggesting that whatsoever. I am saying that whatever the meeting date is in December, yeah. the Feds are going to say rates are up a quarter. What it's going to do to the bond yield is anybody's guess. Okay, then I, at least give me that warm blanket. I wouldn't I'm a be little surprised bit... if it went down. I don't know. Fine. Obviously, right. the Fed has no control over the 10-year bond See, yield. See, but I'm over here thinking um, there's there's a relationship there. If you go and do something that causes the bond yield to go up even further than the 37 basis point that's gone up <laughs> since the election two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago. I was going to... Well, Fast forward to a week or two before the election, it's gone up nearly three quarters of a point. It's crazy. It's been about 75 and basis so points in three weeks. There's a part of me that's saying, will the feds pile on right there? Or will I don't they think just it's piling say, on. I, I think the markets have moved in anticipation of that move, in anticipation of uh, a policy direction based on the, the new president-elect. And I think for those reasons, rates have moved ahead of this Fed meeting. I believe the Feds will make their rate hike. It will have negligible impact on the 10-year note yield and um, mortgage rates by association. Mortgage rates have also moved higher over this last three-week period. So I, I think this is just further proof that... The Fed doesn't directly impact our interest rates. You know, we we figured that out at the last meeting uh, or the the last rate hike last December when they hiked rates and we saw rates fall a, a half or a full percentage point over the course of the next 12 months. Um, and now we're seeing rates move up ahead of this Fed rate hike. I, I, and and then after after we settle into the beginning of the new year with a new a new benchmark interest rate. I still am in the camp that the 10-year yield could probably fall a little bit. I think it's gone up a little a little f far and fast from my t what I believed it should should have done. But some of that's uh, based overreaction. on... An overreaction? I think so. An overreaction to the surprise in the election. I, I, that's kind of what I think. Yeah, well, <laughs> each day... I mean, we were talking about this yesterday in the office. Each day since the election... Um, it's sort of moved a little bit higher, and um, I don't think there's any good reason to believe that these rates are going to change or come down before the first of the year, probably at all. Um, if anything, they may keep going up. Right now, you've got... The knee-jerk reaction, I th I can't help but think it's a knee-jerk reaction. Perhaps I just haven't fully digested what the a whole new administration means. I mean, I, and I I see these little speaking points here. Um, but anyway, stay quickly on track of this timeline. Is here we are. Next week's a pretty short week. Not everybody works on Friday after Thanksgiving. It's pretty much a three-day week. It's pretty much a three-day week. So you're not going to see any great improvement next week. Um, probably going to see more of the same next week. And then the following week is sort of like um, going to be straddling the line of the last few days of November, the first couple days of December. 
if there was any inclination for these bond yields to settle down a little bit from what I can only call a knee jerk, the Fed meeting is on the 13th and 14th of December. So right there in the middle of the month, you're going to have those two weeks of probably everybody anticipating like you that they're going to announce a rate hike. And so you're not going to see any any big movement. Any If anything, these yields are probably likely to increase leading into that meeting time. And then after the meeting, of course, we're going to find out what they had to say with their brief statement, whether or not they rate raise rates, which I, right now I think everybody's anticipating there's like an 85% likelihood that they're going to raise rates. And then after that, you've got two weeks to get you to the new year. Again, with holidays and short abbreviated work weeks. So just don't see any opportunity there for any of this dust to settle from the election fallout. So it's probably going to be this way until after the first of the year. Um, And then, of course, then we've got some inauguration to start focusing on, those things to get through. There's a lot of other data that's got to come between now and then about jobs and holiday sales. I mean, can't wait. You're about to get some Black Friday sales. In fact, we're going to be doing a rerun next week, so we'll be bringing the following week's data in about retail sales and Black Friday and, I don't know, what are they, Small Business Saturday and... Put it on your credit card Sunday and then, yeah, cash in your 401k Tuesday, Um, which, by the way, for the last couple of years, I think have been kind of disappointing. So we'll see. Um, It just we're about to head into a choppy little time. And there's no question that um, since this election, I mean, I, I pulled. Freddie Mac's primary mortgage um, data showed that. um, Thirty seven basis point jump in the average 30-year fixed. Um, we settled up. So that was just a 37 points week over week from from one week to the next. We settled up with the average 30-year fix being 3.95%. Does that signal the end? Is that the death of refinance business? It sure feels like it. Is it over? It feels like it. I mean, obviously not forever. There are people but... out there that got rates higher than 3.95. Yeah. Um, but this is, if you could call it a boom that's been lasting for... Eight years? For, yeah, for darn near eight years. Let's call it a good six years of, okay. of a boom or a mini mini boom in refis. I, I believe that's over. I feel like going forward, it's a purchase market. Rates are poised to rise. I think there's a lot of speculation that... Um, a one, a Republican administration in general, and two, some of the policies that have been hinted at by this um, president-elect are going to lead to some inflationary type of of movements in our economy, which is another reason why we're seeing these rates move higher. So it, it seems like we're on a one-way course at this point for interest rates, barring any new information or any surprises. Well, I got a handful of bullet points here to sort of talk about what you're alluding to right now. Last week, of course, we talked quite a bit about the ramifications, maybe the would-be ramifications of um, us all coming to grips with the fact of uh, what this new presidency is going to look like for the... um, Do you know? know? Does anyone know? 
No, but but <laughs> with the 24-hour news cycle now, you can't help but um, want to try to draw some, extrapolate some conclusions about what's likely to come. And of course, now we've had another week to piece together things that were said along the campaign trail. And we've got a little feedback now from yeah. Yellen, and we understand better about kind of that relationship and these things. Um Yellen was out talking this week. There was no shortage of of, uh, Fed Open Market Committee members out talking. Um, And it sounds like, I mean, they've made the the remarks that um, the case for the rate hike has built rapidly as market-based inflation expectations have ripped higher over the past week. Um, Housing starts, by the way, you probably saw this number, housing starts and building permits um, came in at a nine-year high, up 25.5% to an annual rate of $1.229 million. That's a good clip of um, you know, showing that activity of, of new homes, basically what we can look forward to. There was another reading this week. Do you remember every week when we used to talk about um, Initial jobless claims was all the rage. What was going on this week? You remember in the beginning of the recession, initial jobless claims, these are people seeking unemployment benefits for the first time. Oh, yeah. They were five, six, seven hundred thousand a week. A week. It was crazy. Um, this week, we found a 43 year low. 235,000 people looking for. Uh, first-time unemployment benefits. We stopped talking about initial jobless claims probably about a year and a half ago because it just wasn't newsworthy anymore. Every week they were strong. This number was strong. Any kind of, I mean, I I don't know if it's just me, but um, what's the threshold for you? I started feeling like anything less than two hundred eighty thousand was like not even worth talking about. Yeah, it kind of seemed like even. I mean, we we looked back at jobless claim numbers 2005 yeah, and they at were at the peak of activity and it was still in this pushing. 200 I mean it was hard to find them below 250 yeah so now we're basically I mean we're just seeing incredibly low initial jobless claims um and of course after last last month's jobs report also um seems so distant now the bright spot there was um some upward hourly earnings numbers so it seems that maybe the labor market is doing pretty good if you're resistant to believe that it's it's hard to um make much of an argument for that i mean obviously there's still growth that has to happen but um it it altogether is looking pretty good um there was also a little bit of can, and by the way these these things also lead to higher rates right Good news I mean, generally does. Yeah, yeah, bringing bringing out this data that says, hey, look, we're building at record paces, and we've got jobless claims that are going back. We haven't <laughs> seen jobless claims this low in a week in over 40 years. That sort of suggests that this healed economy is going somewhere, and, and with that comes those higher interest rates. Um, consumer price index came out this week showing that, uh, this is inflation at the consumer level was 0.4% right there where it was expected to be. So that's, I mean, that's nice. Um, basically, while these um, all these headlines are sort of swirling around about what this new cabinet 
presidency, all this Republican dominance might lead to inflationary times, we're seeing other data that suggests that we're heading towards rate hikes. And those are all the reasons why we're, we're seeing these rates scoot up a little bit off. Maybe these lows are in the rear view. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I hope not. I mean, obviously, I'm extremely biased. I hope not. Um, as somebody that owns and operates a mortgage company, low rates sure are awesome. They're, um, in fact, if I were read, if I were drafting the business plan today, the business plan, like sentence one, would be like hold interest rates low. That's what you want to have. Um, but you know, maybe it's a little bit of time here where um, it's finally time to start to address this appreciation we've had too. Is also really facilitated by these low rates too aren't they yeah i think part to some degree yeah i mean we know that it's supply and demand but it's also that affordability or you have a better affordability with a lower interest rate than a higher interest rate and you, you know anybody can do that math so do these increasing rates and potentially potentially this increasing cycle leave to lead to softening real estate values no, because we're going to deregulate the whole thing, and then we're just going to ah. let anyone who can fog a mirror get a loan again, right? My notes. Let me scroll back. Let me scroll back <laughs> up to the top. <laughs> let me scroll back up to the top of my notes. Um, where is it? Oh, n kind of, but no. But here it is. Bring on the lines of credit. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I say that in jest, but. Um, one of the things we do know about this crazy roller coaster of the mortgage business is I've always said this is never underestimate self-preservation. It's a powerful thing. I mean, it's like the you can lift the car off of you. You could fight the grizzly bear. You could outrun the cheetah. Uh, we can come up with mortgage products that are going to get cash to the consumer's pocket in one fancy way or another. Um, well, how often do you hear about these banks, the huge banks of the country, of the world, reporting earnings for investors, and so much of their profit is based around mortgage? I mean, almost all of it, it seems like, at least for the last few years, has been based off of mortgage. The uh, way that I score it, I mean, I look at that and I wonder if financials are about to go, if this might be the time to short some financials, because every time I see bank earnings, my takeaway at the end of it is, man, they're girded up by their mortgage profitability. Hmm. They're they're doing, I think, better. And all the talk I hear is that, you know, buy financials right now. But with... what But what happens, though... If loan origination does drop by the two or three trillion a year, they've been saying, you know, every time we get down to this time of year for the last five years, they say, hey, next year, forecasters are suggesting that you're going to be this 50% of the volume. Yeah. Yeah. Get ready yeah, for heard it. that for a while. But get it just ready for happened. it. And so when that happens, I mean, go back and look at some of those bank earnings when they lose 50% of the profit out of their mortgage origination channel. Do they stay in the black? I don't know. Be interesting. It doesn't watch. look like it to me. When I look at it, I think it makes it almost look like a house of cards. And that's one of the things that concerns me is that these low rates, we always talk about being addicted to low rates. This is part of that addiction, I think. 
even our financial stocks, all these, they all, everything feels so tied to these low rates that we've experienced for so long that this breakup could be kind of messy. I do actually think, um, and by the way, this breakup with these rates is going to happen while we usher in this new president and go through some pretty major shakeups. Um, I mean, Trump said Yellen should be ashamed of herself. These were supposed to be separate departments, and she's just been in, you know, kind of in the pocket of this administration and their low policies. All this it could only lead us to believe that we're going to see some pretty big changing of the guard about a year away in that regard. Um, I got a bunch of stuff in my notes here. I want to talk about Dodd Frank in a little bit too, and what this presidency means to Dodd Frank. So anyway. Let's do a break. It's 9.30, guys. Time to take the first commercial break. We'll be back in just a minute here with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. this last week was the worst or the single biggest jump we've seen in a week in the bond yield since the taper tantrum of June 2013. 
17th worst week ever. Yeah. That's a big move. It's Hear, a big move. Hearing stories about people who are marginally qualified for uh, a mortgage to buy a home, meaning at the high end of the debt ratio um, that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will allow. And this movement in rates is enough to push people who are on the fringe out of qualifying. Well, yeah, naturally. Um, by the way, anytime rates slide like that, you know, in a in a short period of time, that's one of the first byproducts. I mean, each time we've experienced rates, I mean, look, I, I kind of want to put this into a little bit of context. We had four and a quarter rates at that taper tantrum period. When was that? Two years ago? June 2013. About two and a half. Yeah. Um, and it didn't last for very long. But um, yeah, during that period, there was all those same conversations. This is kind of a rerun from that degree. Uh, if you are, and kind of what Dan's suggesting is if I give you a mortgage qualification with a three and a half percent 30 year fixed, and in order to be able to buy in this town, you know, we use debt to income ratio. We take your, if you're a wage earner, we take your gross income. And there's a couple of uh, basic formulas that are run. One is the debt service of just the house. You got principal, interest, taxes, insurance, in some cases, mortgage insurance, HOA dues. Those things are all pretty fixed. So we take then divide that by your gross income, and if you end up with a debt to income ratio that's less than forty five percent, that's probably I would suggest that's the the threshold. And so when somebody comes in, you know, especially if you're, you know, if you're a single buyer and you make seven or eight or nine thousand bucks a month, it might not be uncommon for you to be buying a home at a place where you're landing at a forty four point nine debt to income ratio, at least getting pre approved to that amount. Um, if you're, you know, and then likewise, again, when you, when you look at like, you know, people filing joint taxes, if they're in that ballpark too, where just getting a house, like, what do you, what do you consider to buy a stick built home in San Luis Obispo proper? You know, you're talking, you better be ready to spend $550,000, Yeah. So if you come to me and you say, I want to live in slow, I work in slow. You know, I want my kids to go to school in slow. I want to own in slow. I think slow is the best investment opportunity in all of our county. I want to be in San Luis proper. Okay. I got to, I'm going to start at 600 grand and I'm going to back into it. And once I come up with what's with your down payment, okay, good. You got a hundred thousand dollars down. You're going to borrow four. you're going to borrow $500,000. Here's your taxes. Here's your insurance. Here's your mortgage insurance. You know, I get all the way down to it. Divide that by your income. If that comes out to be 44.99, good news. You qualify. All right. Well, let's straddle this election. Then rates pop to four. Now what? Well, when I go back, it's all the same numbers. $600,000 house, $100,000 down, $500,000 loan at 4%. Payment goes up 200 bucks a month, come back. But your pre-qualification just fell to 575. Sorry, that's just the reality. There isn't anything you can do about that. Go get a raise. 
That's it. Or you need to buy the house for five seventy five. Haven't seen a lot of price reductions yet. That's why it'll be good to have Bruce on next week. I'm curious if this election threw any wet blanket over the the real estate yeah, market. Yeah, I was actually really excited. To I want to talk know to him what that, that activity. Well. I mean, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he's a pretty good Facebook marketer. I think he did four escrows this week. So, well, I think <laughs> it seems like in the last four plus years, every time there's rate higher rates on the horizon it, it feels like there's an initial rush to get it done to, to, yeah to slam a refi through or to be like all right let's move on this purchase let's and i got some of those calls this at, week yeah but then after that it seems like then there's then there's a, a real lull yeah. so here it feels like the little the boom before the last potential lull. the door is closing yeah. can you sneak it in you know and obviously none of us know the answer to that Maybe you're foolish if you rush right out and buy something right now at 4%, and in six months, you might be able to get it for three and a half. Well, you can always refi. You can always refi. Um, the other thing that I'm thinking, too, is, you know, hey, you're walking over to the edge of the bridge here. I'm walking over to the edge of the bridge. Things feel a little bit scary. We like human nature. I mean, we, we, we read about, remember going, let's go back to the beginning of the recession. We know that two-thirds of all people expect the status quo to continue. And so when we find status quo being shaken up, our first reaction is we freak out a little bit. I mean, we even get a physical reaction, don't we? You get sure. fluttery stomach. You have that thing where you have trouble falling asleep because you can't stop thinking. And then you wake up and you think about it and you can't fall back asleep. All these things are our bodies. We're geared up to sort of sweat change. I don't think many people enjoy change. So we got to we got to remember that uh we are always good at adapting to change. Humans are good at changing. We do. We we will. You know, this new presidency, all this stuff, the mix-ups, the bond rates, the mortgage rates, all these things, we're all going to be fine. So let's not freak out about it. It's going to be just fine. Um but that being said, right now when things are in flux, it feels a little bit crazy. That that lack of certainty, and you know, we've we've talked about this on the show for years now, Dan. But what does the market hate more than anything? This financial market? <laughs> it hates uncertainty. What are you certain of today? <laughs> Not a whole lot. You're certain I'm, of uncertainty. I'm certain of a rate hike in December. That's about it. But cautiously optimistic that you're not going to see it. Eh, okay. Or that it settles in the first quarter, things smooth out a little bit. But so what if they don't, you know? I mean, I joked earlier about like, come on, line of credit. Um, I say that in jest, but, you know, right for the last few years here, we've had a really low percentage of even adjustable rate loans. Mm -hmm. um, those loans don't help you with qualification. They'll help you with debt service okay. if you need to do something like that. I mean, prior to the crash, if you had a term, if you remember this, I'm going to draw you back to 2005. If you had an adjustable rate term that was fixed for at least the next five years, you got to qualify at note rate? Yeah. Not today. Now it's seven years. You yeah. have to have a fixed rate for seven years to qualify at note rate. But so some of these people um, that are going to be, you know, feeling like the interest cost is a little bit more and the debt service is too high, some of those programs are going to come back. Right now, the, the spread between adjustable rate loans and fixed rate loans, it's been so tight for so long that we don't even talk about adjustable rate loans. And by the way, I can already see... 
um, people over the radio waves here cringing, going, really? Just, we're we're going to do adjustable rate loans? Um, hey, the rest of the world does basically flip-flop of what we do in terms of using adjustable rate loans. It's like 90% adjustable and 10% yeah, fixed. because when a loan adjusts, I mean, I'm just going to play the devil's advocate for a minute, but when the loan adjusts, it's adjusting based on the economy. If things are going really good and rates are going up, your mortgage rate's going to go up too. But good news, you're earning more. You're getting more on your savings. Your portfolio of investments is growing at a better rate. Oh, a little market correction. You know, rates come down. Your investment rates go down. Usually, you know, if, especially if you're self-employed or in some sort of commission uh, or service-based business, your income might decline a little bit. Hey, guess what? Your mortgage rate's going to decline a little bit during that period, too. That's a normal and I, I want to suggest healthy thing around the globe when you go out and look at how people afford real estate. Uh, kind of be tied to the broader economy is kind of a nice thing. Here in the U.S., we're spoiled brats. We want our cake and eat it, too. We want a long-term, fixed-rate, 100% predictable loan at the rock-bottom rate. And who are we asking to give that rate? Well, we had to craft this fancy framework of a secondary market and all these different things to help facilitate that. And you know what? It works okay. Um, but it means that in cycles like this, if you want to get the fixed rate deal, when things are doing a little bit better, you're going to have to pay more to get it. And, um, you know, we're just going to have to come grips with that. We might end up having to do some of those adjustable rate loans. Um, we might end up, you know, and, and the other thing too, I always want to remind myself and others is that people refinance for a variety of reasons. They refinance because of, um, failed relationships and lost jobs. They refinance for home improvement, you know, addition, remodel. They refinance to consolidate debt. There's all these different reasons why people refi. Um, and I remember from the last little pop that sometimes people even refi lower rates into higher rates because they desperately need at some kind of cash. I'm not suggesting that's a good thing, but um, you're not going to see the loan business die overnight. Um, but right now, the only thing you can be certain of is uncertainty. And we're seeing that in the rates and the, in the mortgages and, and, you know, they're just trailing the bond market. Um, I, I've, I brought in a little bit of stuff here to talk about the CFPB. This might blow your mind. You already said, in fact, I'll, I want to invite you to make the comment you made earlier about the CFPB. Oh, about deregulation? Oh, yeah. And that's that's the, the talk. In fact, I mean, we've heard it from from the Trump himself that that's the, Trump. That's the plan, right? To deregulate, to help business thrive in in the, the years going forward. That's that's the plan is deregulate. And so now it's just a matter of how much deregulation are we going to dial it all the way back to where, you know, investment banks can get involved in mortgages and and make it as, as loose as it was in 2005 and six, Or are we just talking about freeing up regulation on the, the small institutions that don't pose a threat to the entire system? And so that's really, I mean, and there's where some of the uncertainty lies. Sure. When you look at um, the CFPB, so this is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, CFPB, by the way, this was created by way of Dodd-Frank. Um, it's gotten pretty big, pretty fast. 
And here's an interesting summary of a few of these things for you, though, here. CFPB today, 1,500 employees. 500 of those employees are in the enforcement division. What's the enforcement division been up to, you ask? Audits. 150 enforcement actions so far. The 150 enforcement actions have led to $11.7 billion in restitution. Wow. Over what period of time? I mean, since the CFPB was... There's only been 150 enforcement actions, but they've been big. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. Yeah. 11.7 11.7 billion. I did the math. So I think I did it right. They're catching big things. Bust out your calculator and show me how you enter 1.7 billion. I think I did it right. I went out to where it was like, okay, you know, because you start one, one, seven, hundred, thousand, hundred thousand, million, zero, 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 billion. I'm filling up the whole screen now. So I stopped where I think I, I was correct. Um, if I did it right, 117 billion divided by 150, that's the amount of fines over enforcement actions, 7.8 million a piece. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot, dude. That's crazy. That's huge. So if you go on, am I wrong? Pull out your calculator. 117 billion divided by 150. That's got to be closer to like 780 I think it's almost million, 10 million. 780 wow. million. Anyway, maybe I didn't carry it right. Like I said, I'm not accustomed to dividing. Jason was being nice. In the billions. <laughs> yeah. Point being, <laughs> yeah. it's a small amount of actual infractions they bust you on. And when they do, it's a tremendous amount of money. Weren't um, they responsible for for uncovering that Wells Fargo yeah. bank account yeah. creation, false bank account yeah. stuff? Yeah. Um, when you do, maybe there's a computer, maybe you could just Google what is $117 billion divided by 150 rather than trying to put it into the calculator. Dude, I got this. Go for it. That's a, it's a big Nine number. Nine zeros, right? That's a billion. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is going to be. And then after you divide by 150, how many? 780 million. Yeah. I was I was impressed that I thought it was seven point eight. So seven hundred eighty million. Yeah. So you're averaging per almost a billion dollars per offense. Wow. That's crazy. Do you think that has some impact on cost to consumer? Cost to consumer, yeah, but it sounds like there's a lot of big time problems out there is what it sounds like to well me. and so here's the deal this is the the big critics of the cfpb the problem is is that they're um they're lacking checks and balances they were basically given a director and kind of carte blanche you know they are like the executive legislative legislative judiciary you know all rolled into one and only recently, and I didn't, I didn't bring in the actual specifics of it, but recently there was a finding they made against PHH, I think, one of the big boys for a lot of money, and it was appealed, and a high-level court came in and said, nah, this is not going to stand. And so the CFPB now can go in and appeal it and, and maybe slug it out even farther. But basically, at this point, now that we've been through this election, here's what we're facing. Um, is the director of the CFPB going to survive? Oftentimes, the director of an organization like this just steps down. 
during a, a, a handoff of the baton at like the presidential level. Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, Trump, by the way, has not clearly laid out what his intentions are with the CFPB. He's made sort of these hasty general calls of dismantling Dodd-Frank. Um, but what does that mean? But he's yet to clearly articulate some sort of plan about enforcement or policy direction, position um, of where the CFPB should be headed. Um, I've read a, a variety of different things that suggest what might actually happen. But right now, um, the director, Richard Corgray, it'll be surprising if he doesn't just outright resign. And it sounds like there may end up becoming a board of directors of a handful of people that run the CFPB and then have some oversight committees. But, you know, what's likely to happen here is that um, Trump basically is going to make some effort to rein in the CFPB to look at how broad these brushstrokes are. Um, you know, because we do all this continuing education, I mean, we're, we are subject to following the demands of the CFPB if you are fine, if you are found to be blatantly violating a policy enforced by the CFPB set out by Dodd-Frank, the fine is a million dollars a day. Um, clearly, a lot of this regulation we needed. We needed some oversight. I mean, you, I don't have to tell you, we could go back and recap what was going on within the secondary market community back in 2002, three, four, five, six. It was wild who was allowed to come in and design a mortgage product and who to market to and then how to securitize it with no real skin in the game. Some of the good things that I think that CFPB has given us have been things like that ability to repay rule. That stands out to me so much because it's defined the burden on a lender to prove that the borrower has an ability to repay. It seems so common sense that yeah, well, it's hard to believe that's not the standard But you prior. remember back in 2002, 3, 4 when we used to have loan committee where we sure. got together to discuss whether or not somebody met a most basic definition of an ability to repay. And at times it was difficult. Sometimes the only way you could suggest somebody had an ability to repay was because of their stellar credit score. Well, Dan couldn't couldn't possibly have gotten an 800 credit score and this $100,000 in the bank if he wasn't making this kind of money. I mean, mm -hmm. look, he's he owns a Maserati. That clearly is an ability to repay. Today, nah, no, not even close. Ability to repay there's a lot of definition in terms of what that means and what you need to evaluate and how you need to care for it. Do you want to see that scrapped? I don't want to see that scrapped. But, yeah, I, I don't either. I think there's there's definitely good things that have come from the CFPB's regulation over the mortgage industry. But when you talk about those penalties, I think about that in the context of a one-size-fits-all uh penalty or solution or whatever you want to whatever angle you're looking at it from one size fits all policy for all mortgage lending institutions you know and granted CFPB covers more than mortgage but that's what we're focusing on here today yeah so i think about big banks like bank of america wells fargo us bank you know these big lending institutions a million dollars a day 
is a penalty that makes sense for them. Could you imagine a million dollar a day penalty for a company like ours? You couldn't make day, it an hour. Day one. Or yeah, by lunchtime, we're out of business. You know, it's, well, that it's being such said, a big thing. And then so because that's such a... A monumental penalty for a company of our size. Which You're desperate to comply. There's somewhere estimated to be over 10,000 institutions in the country that are like ours, small, local lending establishments. There's probably way more. It's probably an underestimate. Um, you know, we're hamstrung by, oh, we need to protect ourselves. We, we can't afford to make a mistake whatsoever, not a single mistake. Yeah, you're desperate to comply. So you have to hire third-party help. You have to, you know, re-review. Every, you have to slow down. Let's re-review every policy we have in here. Make sure it's bulletproof. Do self-audits. You know, all this expense going out to make sure that you can't afford a single mistake. You're I mean, not allowed to make a mistake. So is is that hampering? growth in our industry for companies like ours i would suggest that probably a little bit yeah yeah well and in here this and this is the tricky task they have ahead of them by the way because i'm going to suggest that if you look at a company like ours and and our the other companies like us that exist what do we do i mean come on we're keeping those big boys honest we're providing the alternative if you are interested in getting that, um, you know, I, it, kind of preaching to the choir here, obviously, because everybody I think that listens to us now has a pretty good understanding of we have all of the products and we have the pricing that reflects a small, nimble company that manages overhead as a, one of the most important factors of our business is how we manage our overhead. Mm -hmm. That allows us to deliver a product to the consumer at lower rate and fees than the big boys can. And then to boot, this is where I think the icing on the cake is. You get that boutique level of service in like a small town accountability. You can come sit in my office today on a Saturday. I will open my office to meet with you today if you need my help today. That's something that, you know... At those more favorable terms, can you believe that you get the service too? Is this for us? Are we the ones that you want to chase out? Because like you said, Wells, Chase, City, these guys, they can afford a million bucks a day. Yeah, they can afford that penalty, but it's enough for them to maybe think real hard about their practices. Uh, I don't. I doubt that. I, I love that romantic side of you that you believe that's possible. I remember thinking about this. Um, these diet pill companies... They come out making these crazy claims and they go to infomercial and they sell these things um, where they can make $60 million in six months. It takes about six months for the FDA to nail them, come out with the double blind trials and suggest their claims were false, let alone if they actually had any significant health impacts on the people that bought their products and damaged themselves. But they'll make 60 million bucks. You know what the fine is? 20 million bucks. You know what? They knew that. That was budgeted into the business plan at the beginning. When you look at a company like Wells Fargo, by the way, I saw this week their new account origination is down 44% since all that stuff happened. Well, have you seen their commercials and things? No. The, now they have commercials saying that they've done away with sales goals and stuff oh, like that okay. to just... We're here for you not to incentivize our people to open accounts. Get that message out there. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, anyway, I just, I hate to think that the... Um, but that's, the, so back to what we're talking about, the unknown is how far will reforming Dodd-Frank go? I mean, is it just wipe the slate clean, let everybody play in the playground together and figure it out? Or are we going to keep some level of oversight from the CFPB? Here's my hope. And I, you know, like several old adages come to mind, but I'll just, I'll stick with it here. Here's my hope. I hope that our new president that's grown up in real estate obviously knows what it means to be a developer and has been involved with mortgages and banks and this stuff all along. I hope that he's got a better idea of what we need anyway. Because what this economy, how many... How many jobs out of 10 are dependent on housing? I mean, they estimate. We love in, this list. Yeah, in we our state, it's like six out of 10 or something. Electrician, crazy. plumber, carpet guy, escrow, furniture sales. title, appraiser, <laughs> loan officer, realtor, landscaper. Um, Dude running the mics on Saturday morning for a mortgage show. I mean, you, you can go. Wow. You can go. Included. So far, housing. Maybe second to healthcare now is it's the most significant thing in any of our lives. It really matters, and I really hope that um, this president, of all the things he might do, maybe the fact that he is so in tune with real estate and development and housing and things related to that, maybe this will be that that godsend that we're after. Because most of the time, I look at these laws and I I'm like, what were they thinking? When they write programs and these make these comments about what it's really like, you know, in the in the lending environment, I go, who are these people? Who are the special advisory committees that are feeding them these lines? Because I wish they'd call me. That's probably the big bankers is what I've always believed. It's the big they get the Jamie Diamonds of the world in there to help them advise on their bank and financial institution policy, and it tends to really hurt. Smaller companies, and by the way, the ten thousand plus companies I mentioned, the small, you know, local shops, those are tra their traditional source for construction lending Ooh. across the country. Hey guys, top of the hour, forced break. We'll be back with a real estate agent for a whole another hour of Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. This is a Thanksgiving song. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> love to eat turkey. I love you. Love to eat turkey, cause it's good. Love to eat turkey like a good boy should, cause it's turkey to eat. Ah, oh, welcome back, everyone. Mm. It's Thanksgiving week now, oh, huh? Boy. I guess it is officially today. I'm, I'm calling it Thanksgiving week. Good. 
We get to do our own pie day today, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Have boy. I ever told you guys that Bruce is by far my favorite guest? <laughs> <laughs> by far. This brings a great pumpkin pie, that's for sure. <laughs> Bruce has joined us, of course, our favorite realtor <laughs> from Patterson Realty. And, um, yeah, he brought a pumpkin pie today. So we'll give you the opportunity to tell us what's with what's with handing out pies. Um, Jim's on the phone eating pie and has forgotten to stop the Adam Sandler song. Jim, over here. We're ready for that to be done. I know. I'm Thanks. sorry. I had a lady calling in too, and which, was she calling to say right? that the? Well, she's missing the recorded shows, which we're working on. We had a problem with uh, your website. Yeah, remember technical so, glitch, but yeah. it's been mm-hmm. repaired. It was brought to our attention. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And, but um, people are missing it. I'm sorry, I let the Adam Sandler go a little long. But hey, it's Thanksgiving, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and we're, we're having some enjoy. nice pumpkin pie this morning. Thank you very much. <laughs> I just wanted to share mm-hmm. with the guys. Um, yeah. It's just something I've been doing for about five years now for my clients. Uh, we offer them a pie for Thanksgiving. As a thank you for their business, thank you for their referrals. Wonderful. And recently we've added in a donation mm-hmm. uh, clause there, if you will. If they don't want a pie, I'll donate money to the food bank in their name. Oh, very cool. Oh, that's cool. When, wrong. when Bruce emailed me and said, well, first of all, you emailed me and I just ignored it, like the whole pie thing. Like, yeah, mm. see if this goes away on its own. Then he emailed <laughs> me again and said, dude, what kind of pie do you want? And I said, Bruce, give the money to the food bank. And then he said, I'm coming to the radio show on Saturday. I'll be bringing a pie. <laughs> so I said, all right, fair enough. No. I got to say, I was a little bit surprised when I saw you out there with a pie, though. Who doesn't want cool. pie? I don't want I do. (laughs) I'm pretty happy about it. I do. Well, and he served it, too. He brought forks and plates, and he served it with whipped cream. And Bruce um, cuts what I like to call a dad piece of pie. (laughs) Yes. There's four of us sitting here. We go into quarters. You right. should, you should see, on a Costco size pie too. By the way, this is not like the apple pie mom makes in the eight inch round. This thing's about sixteen inch round uh-huh. pumpkin pie. Go big or go home. Yeah, everything in my house. When somebody gets a big portion, we call that the da- the dad size portion. Not after me, but my dad. My dad. Like if he's having a bowl of ice cream or something, literally will dish like half of one of those round. I mean, I was going to say they're half gallons, but I know they're not anymore because of inflation. They're like third gallons or something. You do not want to get into that contest with me. No, oh, I can only imagine. by Based on the way you cut pie. I, and I know you have a sweet tooth. Absolutely. Meat and, meat and cheese and sweets. Three basic food groups. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, so I don't know how much of that first hour you had a chance to listen to, or if you listened to last week's show either, but we've been pretty hung up on this Trump thing. And um, basically, like everybody else in the media lately, we're just trying to figure out what it means and, and what it feels like. And I I know that um, you guys didn't have your weekly meeting this week, so you didn't get to have me in on Tuesday <laughs> to tell you um, kind of mid-sky falling how, how fast it was approaching us here, but... Um, I, I'm dying to know, has it yet resonated through the housing market that rates are higher and um, plenty of people are beginning to panic a little bit about what this means? Well, I, you know, I did listen to a little bit of your last hour, but 
I think what's happening is people buy and sell homes uh, based on a number of uh, needs and wants. And, uh, you know, there's still going to be job changes. There's still going to be family situations. There's still going to be those things. But when you really break it down, um, you know, I, I look at the percentages, right? I look at the interest rate at 3.75, and, and maybe then it'll go up to 4 or 4 and a quarter, which are still astronomically low rates. But what I really measure are the dollars. And this comes from my background. Uh, up until 10 years ago, I sold uh, consumer packaged goods into retail. And everybody wants to measure gross margin in percentage points. And it's really about gross margin dollars. And so when you're measuring a mortgage in percentage rate, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because all the variables still change. But if you just took a $400,000 mortgage as a number, and that's a number you like to use a lot, if you took a $400,000 mortgage at 3.75 as opposed to 4.25, so a whole half a point jump, that's $115 a month. And if somebody is contemplating buying a home and they're that tight that $115 a month is going to make the difference on whether they buy or not, I'm going to suggest that that maybe they need to look lower, first of all. Yeah, because okay. because your cable <laughs> yeah. bill exactly. is $115. A month. I mean, you can spend, I know people that spend that amount at Starbucks every month, okay, right down the line. So you have to prioritize your monthly expenses. And a half a point jump seems huge to a market that's been stuck under 4% for years. And, you know, we've been forecasting it's going to jump up, it's going to jump up. But the reality is... And when is, it does, it's going up, What what is it, sharply and <laughs> rapidly? <laughs> or, yeah, or dramatically and sharply. Be. Yeah, uh, and that was a lot of fun there for a while, too. But, yeah, I mean, okay, let's just say it does jump to four and a quarter, all right? That's what we're going to have to deal with. That's the new reality, and it will affect the market some, but I don't think it's going to affect it hugely. Well, and I always suggest, too, that I feel like it, uh, yes, it affects the market some. I think it also affects the market temporarily because, like Dan said um, earlier, if you're right in transaction, I mean, this is the guy, this is the heartbreak guy, okay? He comes to me three weeks ago for a prequal, yep. and I go, all right. Call Bruce. You're ready to rock. You can afford a $500,000 house and you head out now and then you come back like this week. Some of these phone calls I have is like, hey, guys, we just got to check base again here because rates kind of went up a little bit. And if nothing else, I want because as you well know, here's what happens. People start looking at homes and as just as luck would have it, the more expensive houses are nicer. And Go so figure. we all end up sort of itching towards that that high limit and then maybe going over it because we're like, well, if we can get a $20,000 discount, oh, we're really at that high limit. And next thing you know, you're getting countered and you're back above it more. So the courteous thing for me to do as the environment shifts a little bit is just to give these folks a call and say, hey, I just want to kind of reset expectations with you. If you get into escrow tomorrow, the rates are a little bit different than where we first talked, and here's what your payment would look like now. Um, if that, if you just need that information to temper your hunt a little bit, then here you go. And if not, you know, they say, "Well, is this permanent?" I don't know. Tell you later. Yeah, exactly. We, we, <laughs> we don't, don't know. know. I always say to people, "Look, if I could see the future, I'd cash it in, go to Vegas, and put it all on red." Right. Um, but we don't know. You'd be the guy from Back to the Future with the what was that guy? Biff. 
Biff with the sports book. <laughs> We've got a caller on the line. We've got Dave calling from Los Osos. Morning, yeah, hey, Dave. Good, uh, good morning. Thanks for another show. Thanks Thank for calling. So I've got a question for you um, regarding inflation, or maybe more particularly like hyperinflation. And, um, you know, what your thoughts are on the, on the chance of that happening. There was a guy on uh, Dave Conklin's show last, at night that had kind of touched on that and I'm curious to know your thoughts on it and then you know how that would impact real estate if, if, you know, if how real estate investment might might do in a period of hyperinflation and better off owning it or better off with uh, you know, a large loan and so if you guys could talk about that and I'd, if I can I'd just like to take, uh, sure. take the answer off the air yeah sure okay thanks guys um all right, well, I'll jump us off. Um, first of all, I'm I'm not old enough to know enough about these inflationary cycles, really. I mean, I I got I Why got out of Cal Poly because you got way more gray hairs <laughs> than me. I got out of Cal Poly in 2001, and um, you know I don't need to line out for you what the economy's done since then. There was an inflationary period, wasn't there, in those first few years, and um, and I remember 9/11 was a little bit of a mix-up. And I remember that in 2003, we saw a pretty sweet dip. Dan, you remember Bruce that worked with us? He locked in a deal at uh, one of the sweetest interest rates we'd ever seen or heard of. He got like a 30-year fixed at like 2.875. Something crazy. <laughs> this Nichols. brief window of like March of 2003. That was crazy. Um, and then after that, of course, things kind of went haywire and, and rates were going up and the market was white hot. And uh, obviously that ended up having to have some correction. Now I know what some of my more tenured um, colleagues talk about uh, inflationary cycles generally push the value of real estate up like crazy too. And for me, I kind of have to close my eyes and make my Forrest Gump face of if rates are going up, and everything's costing us more. How also does the price go up and we keep paying for more? Whew, I don't know. Maybe I maybe this is where me just being a state school kid left me high and dry. Because there's some part of me that wants to to understand that deeper than I do. I don't fully get it, but I mean I know the talking points. You're making more, you're saving more, you have higher savings, your 401k is performing better. Everything's like your house is appreciating good, so you don't mind having a higher interest rate. All of these things, okay, I get it. Um, it feels like the key ingredient there that we haven't really seen in the last 15 years is the wage growth component. As long as wages keep up with everything else, then you can afford all the higher prices and everything. But if wages stay stagnant while everything else is going up, then it things just become more unaffordable. I agree with you on that, Dan. You know, I mean, I struggle with. Hyper, if you want to call it hyperinflation, I struggle with inflation anyway because they keep changing the way they measure inflation too. Okay, when they don't count food and oil and gas for the people and, that don't eat or drive, yeah, then it's fine. And and so anybody that's living realizes that the cost of living is going up. Yep. Okay, and we're not getting a true measure of inflation. So I, I find it hard to use their numbers. I can measure it. The bar of soap is smaller. The ice cream thing is smaller. The Absolutely. health insurance is bill bigger. has tripled, <laughs> but the deductible and all that. I mean, I see inflation for me all the time. I feel it. 
things have gotten more expensive. I agree. I, I And that's why I struggle when I look at the government's official numbers of inflation. I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't marry the two together. Um, and I, I still think it still goes back to the individual uh, person and the individual investment and the individual purchase of a piece of real estate. Uh, Dave actually mentioned investment property. Well, investment property is relatively easy in that it's all about the numbers. And so when you run the numbers on an investment piece that you're going to rent out, whether it's as an office building or rent out uh, a duplex to you know people, families, whoever are going to live there, you run the numbers. And if the numbers are at or close to positive, then it's probably a good investment based on a little appreciation over time also. But, you know, if you're talking about your single family home, that's more emotional and need based. Okay. Sure. It, you know, somebody needs more space, uh, then they need to buy that house. If somebody needs to buy a house in a different city based on jobs or something else, that's need-based, okay? Yeah. And you've got to weigh that versus well, the cost. Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm kind of in that strange boat right now. I'm in process of selling my house and buying a new house, okay? And not shooting the moon. I think the new house is, you know, basically $150,000 more than the current house. It also has an additional bedroom and bathroom mm-hmm. um, that we've determined as a need for our family. It's a priority, um, that being said, this timing's pretty interesting because, <laughs> you know, with this new shakeup, I got to wonder, um, are we, you know, cause I, I can sit in here on the microphone and, and give you my slant every other day about what I think is going to happen. But at the end of the day, we all have to sort of weigh it out. And, you know, one of the things the wife and I have talked about is, well, if you own real estate today, you're already staked in the market. Absolutely. If the whole market goes up 10%. You probably went up close to 10%. If the whole market goes down 10%, you probably went down close to 10%. So if you already own and you're changing kind of where you're staked in the market for a need-based thing, I don't really see that as um, it, something that's going to be detrimental. And like no. like the wife and I have decided, if there is a correction in this market and we go through a five- or seven-year cycle of you know, riding suppressed values and we're not seeing the three to 5% appreciation a year and everything. Do you want to ride that out in the current house that is small and doesn't meet our desires? I want to say needs, but Mm -hmm. let's be honest. These are first world problems. So really (laughs) what we want to do is do you, you know, we want, we have some needs slash desires, but do you want to ride out five to seven years in the place that feels like not great or do you want to ride out five to seven years in a place that meets your needs and desires to a t well that's just it i mean you're you're gonna ride out those years in a nicer home in a bigger home that fits the needs of your family and i did uh, essentially the same thing in the 90s Uh, i had a house that appreciated about thirty thousand dollars in san luis obispo over seven years but it was a great house we loved it and the only reason we sold it right before the 30,000 over 7 years over 7 years Shoosh, yeah. you, your debt service over those 7 years was more than 30,000 <laughs> absolutely uh it, you know it so was then not, what happened well then we actually moved we moved to chicago uh for a job when i went to work for a division of brunswick and when we came back 2 years later i couldn't afford to buy the house back okay mm. it had a, basically doubled in price doubled in value in those 2 years that hurt, but we were able to get back in the market a little bit later, and and you know obviously we've reaped the benefit of home ownership again. Sure, you know it's just, it, it, but it was based on our need of housing, 
okay, not looking at it as an investment. Sure. It just goes back, I, get, I think, again, when you're looking at interest rates and you're trying to gauge the future, and we all make the best uh, decisions we can based on the information we have and what we think is going to happen. Nobody sets out in the morning and says, I think I'm going to do something stupid today. Right. Okay, and so you base it on what we know. If we knew what the future was, that's different. We don't. But you do have to make good, cautious uh, educated decisions. You're being so political on me. I want you to pull out your crystal ball and tell me what the next here. Just I'll throw you. I mean, I'm going to go easy on you. Just tell me what's going to happen in the next three years. I think uh, values in San Luis Obispo are going to continue to go up. I think they'll go up in probably conservatively the four to six percent range overall. I think uh, entry level. So maybe. So what you're key. suggesting is then a little bit. Not necessarily a plateau, but but sort of a more reasonable rate of appreciation than what's been going on for the last five years. Well, it goes back to what you guys have always said, too. Lending is not crazy like it was in the early 2000s. Okay, there's there's very little interest only, anything crazy like that. You still have to be qualified. You have to have good credit scores. But the Trump might want to undo that. You know what? It's still going to be market-based. Banks realize that they have to be uh, – accountable to their shareholders they have to show a profit they cannot do ultra let's be risky honest things. or you get a or you get a tarp bailout and you get um you know <laughs> through this last recession we learned a lot didn't we we learned, we learned that we will dumb down your uh debt forgiveness and expand bankruptcy qualification we encouraged short sales and allowed you to like not even have the the tax consequences of the debt forgiveness i mean so, Did so now we, we actually... want to get into the lack of personal responsibility discussion here? Well, I mean, if these are all business <laughs> decisions, are we not? Have we not been like groomed to believe that all you really need to do is sit down at the table and make a bet? Because even if you lose, we're still going to bend you know the rules for you and let you off the hook a little bit softer. Boy, I hope not. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm about personal responsibility here. I think, you know, if you sign on to, to take on a loan and, and all things remaining equal, okay, uh, you're responsible for that loan. And if the market does go sideways, then you got to do your best to get out of it, okay? And to look to the government to bail everyone out, they set a horrible precedent there by being too big to fail. That's, that's just my opinion. Um, I think if they hadn't done that, the market would have corrected itself, uh, in some form or fashion. I, I'm a big believer in the market, okay? I think that companies will do the right thing. And, and, you know, I used to use examples of companies that pollute, okay? If the company pollutes and the consumer finds out that that company is polluting, they stop buying their products or using their services, that company will go out of business unless they are responsible. Self-governing to some degree. Yes, absolutely. The market speaks, and, you know, companies are there to make a profit, and if they're not profitable, they're going to get cha changed or go out of business. That's yeah. just that's a reality. So altogether, you're just the voice of reason. That that extra tenure you have in life is just you're just telling us just to it's going to be all right. Well, you know, if any uh, my friends on Facebook saw my post on last Wednesday morning after the election, I said, "Hey, the sun did come up." Right. Okay. The day starts again. There's going to be changes. Yes, we know that. Like you've said a number of times, a lot of the market has already priced in these changes to what's going to happen. These guys are not dumb. Uh, 
and they're not just going to be reactionary either. A lot of them are taking a wait and see, but they're also hedging their bets. They're business people. Mm-hmm. So the sun's going to come up. Did we answer Dave's question? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's a You're just down there having question. pie still. I mean, I've now finished my huge piece of pie. and I Wait, can... there's more. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that was more than half a pie. So, Bruce, the feeling that you're getting from your office mates, the other folks out there selling real estate, engaging with customers who own or want to buy homes, feelings like, eh, it's just another day. Yeah, I mean, we're in business, okay? And the sun does come up every day, and we're going to adapt. We're going to adjust. We're talking to our clients, and it, and if their situation has changed some because of this or because of what they feel is going to happen, then we adapt too. If somebody wants to pull their home off the market, fine, we'll pull it off the market. If it adjusts their price points on what they think they can buy, Fine, we'll adjust. Have you heard of anybody wanting to come off the market since no, the election? No, not at all. It would be hard to understand that argument. It really would. I mean, and, and that's why I say we shouldn't do any knee-jerk reactions to this. Uh, you know, a good friend of mine who's actually a pretty famous guy, he's uh, a broadcaster now for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, you uh, you analyze and adjust, and that's what we do. Uh, Mike Kruko, you know, that he made his career on that. When you have a 90-plus mile-an-hour fastball, you can get people out with that. That's fine. When that goes away, you better start throwing sliders. Yeah. Okay? We analyze and adjust, and that's what we're doing with the marketplace today. Yeah. it's a good point. We just talked through a half an hour. Well, we ate pie through a half an hour and then mm -hmm. talked some, too. Let's do a commercial break. And uh, we'll get back, and we have another whole other half an hour here with Bruce. If you guys want to call and ask a question... Or weigh in, um, you know, and I'm I'm always looking for the advice too of of people that um, feel like they've seen more, been exposed to more, and want to suggest um, the other side of of what might be coming. I'm I'm always up for it. So um, five four three eight eight three zero is the number here. Uh, we're gonna do a commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes with more mortgage matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Buy or refinance a home, just call Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. 
Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. I got pumpkin pie crumbs in my keyboard. Oh, boy. <laughs> I really do. Do you have any of that canned mm. air? Uh, canned air. I'll have to see if I'm I have some canned air. Own, I'm going to have to use my own hot air. Hang on. <laughs> boy. He got a lot of that, so. <laughs> hey. Uh, this, is a, um, this is a safe environment where we don't insult each other. <laughs> I don't know. Dan thought it was funny. I was going to say, since when? um all right so i want to i want to i want to go back and talk about um discussion during the break because we do that a lot we guys when we turn the microphones off here we generally keep talking about what we're talking about because (laughs) it's what we do well and we're and we're into it i mean it's i think when you work in the in the real estate and loan business um, it's your life. Yeah, and you, it really you limits really... your pool of friends. I mean, you can only <laughs> hang out with people that enjoy that type of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a call, but we're not going to put him on because he wouldn't even come up with the real name. So, oh, yeah. What name did he try to use? He tried to use E Pluribus Unum. <laughs> oh, so we don't the, mind if you. We don't really mind if you, you know, disagree, but. Um, Disagree with the more do, realistic do re- Yeah, come up well, with a real name. And if we're trying to play like Stump, the Mortgage Matters uh, hosts, I don't know enough Latin to get through that. So what if that guy tried to ask his whole question in Latin? I'm out. Can you Google translate that for me? <laughs> so anyways, we got, we got Bruce in here. Bruce is... Um, can I ask you for a minute to... To toot your own horn. You're one of the players in San Luis right now. I hope so. I'm going to say right now. I hope it's not a flash in the pan, but um, <laughs> how long have you been doing real estate? I'm in my 10th year. Okay. So you had a little bit of a head start. I mean, well, Dan and I have been in the mortgage business for like 13 years, 14 years. Yeah. Holy smokes. I wanted to say eight or something. No, but we've been running this company for eight years. So you've been doing real estate a little bit longer than we've been owning this mortgage company. Um, and these last 10 years, 
Some tumultuous times, huh? Well, I started in the downturn. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, was challenging. I started because of the downturn. Yeah. <laughs> um, the companies that I worked for uh, at that time, exist. they don't, yeah, they don't exist anymore. And um, Dan and I had these like super deep heart to heart. Of course, at that time, I mean, I'm married with kids. Dan wasn't, but um, like I'm going, I can't go from company to company and just keep riding the next one into the dirt. I need to somehow figure out how to take control of my own destiny and, and create some semblance of norm normalcy for my family. And um, so that's how we, we got on this crazy train together um, at the crash. And um, you know, it's been, it's been wild. Um, there's no question that the, uh, accommodative policy of this administration has sort of uh, girded it up for the last eight years. And, um, but so, yeah, I guess just going forward, I mean, you already kind of made the prediction that you, you don't see the bottom falling out. No, I really don't. I mean, we have a unique uh, piece of, you know, a unique product here. Okay. People still want to move here. Our, our problem with people moving here is finding jobs for them at this mm -hmm. point in time because we're actually building a lot of entry-level type housing. Um, but people still want to move here. And so they're, they're buying a second home here. They're buying an investment property mm -hmm. here. And they're moving their families here for work or other things. Uh, so I, I just don't see it. Uh, the rest of the county, you know, is in a growth mode also. Just not as fast as San Luis Obispo, so sure. it, it's a it's a good market, and I think it's going to continue to stay a good market. I kind of even, you know, like remember when the market was dropping, and we talked about how the next likely part of the cycle would be to sort of stabilize, just no longer declining, but don't expect overnight appreciation. That we'd probably ride the bottom for a while, maybe even a couple bounces as the market attempted to find bottom. But man, were we so wrong about that because the market went down, 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 the whole way down. And then when it hit, it just turned on a dime and basically went back vertical. There was no time to sit and overthink this thing. Um, and I guess probably what I'm suggesting is 2000, mid 2011, probably. You think that's about right? Probably, 2012. But, but let me make two points. Okay, even when the market was going down, okay, you to do a deal, you had to have one on both sides. For a, any seller, there has to be a buyer. Right. And so if there were not people in going into the market in 2007, 2008, 2009, those transactions wouldn't have happened. And sure. yes, a number of them did go back to the banks, but then people came in and bought them. So there were transactions happening there. And then secondarily, uh, you know, the market is going to fluctuate. It's, it's not a straight line, no matter how much we want it to be. And so the people that were looking at the market going down, 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 and trying to time it to hit the absolute bottom and get it by that day, guess what? The it only way you happen. did that was by dumb luck. Yeah, if you got lucky, that's fine. But it turned, and when it turned, it went. And the people that capitalized... You know, they might have bought something while it was still going down, but then when it turned around, they made money. Um, if the market timers um, just are not that good, okay? No one can see the future. Again, you make your decisions based on all the good information that you have.
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe we're in a similar situation in that people are still going to be buying and selling real estate constantly. Yeah. I see it too. What are you studying down there? I want to, <clears throat> I think it's pertinent to our conversation here. There was a Central Coast economic forecast um, earlier this month, and I have the entire report in front of me. But a couple of highlights that I wanted to share, just because some of the buzzwords have come up here in this discussion, um, about the local economy. The economy of of the county of San Luis Obispo, it... Um, all the underlying economic indicators suggest it's going to continue growing. It's been doing really well, and it's going to continue on that path. The local labor market is in very good shape with total wage and salary um, employment in the county hitting all-time highs in four successive years. So there's all this strength That sounds like the top to me. Sounds like you're describing the top. <clears throat> sounds like there's a lot of momentum in employment and in wage growth. Um, which is good, especially in the face of appreciation of, of housing prices. And Yeah, and, and you're taking the data there, and, and what they're saying is they're actually putting measurables onto what we all feel. Mm -hmm. Okay, and as we drive around town, we recognize anybody that's been here longer than five or six years recognizes there's more traffic in town because more people are coming here. When you go downtown, and I'm talking San Luis Obispo specific, but it also goes out to Morro Bay and Pismo Beach and all the rest of the tourist attractions, there's more people in town now because people want to be here. And a lot of people, when they come here and visit, they want to move here. And so they're looking to find a way if they can possibly afford it. And that becomes a, a challenge for a lot of them is the affordability factor. Mm -hmm. Okay, because then when all of a sudden they see the average price of a home in San Luis Obispo is, you know, 560 or 580000 and we both know that for that amount of money, you don't get a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are still shocked by that. Yeah. So... I, I, you're doing it with data right there. I'm doing it by, as I just to drive feel. around and see and feel and live. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't have a measurable. You have the measurable. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been feeling like things have been getting better. You know, there's always been this underlying feeling that we, as we regain jobs, are we regaining the good jobs? And, but the, this, that's where I've, I've not really had a feel for it, but here it's suggesting that we are getting at least some wage I think we're growth. getting I think we're getting better. Yeah. Okay. And it's a, it's a growth process because a lot of the jobs, you know, even the tech jobs that are happening in our area, uh, the startups that are there are started by people from Poly or people that are entrepreneurial that come in here and they're doing it for sweat equity mm -hmm. and they're barely getting by until they can capitalize on it and start realizing a return. Then they can really go out and afford to buy. The other thing I think that's very different, I mean, this conversation, by the way, seems to have this looming feeling that we're heading into a market correction. I'm not convinced that that is probably very likely. I think that the reality is, is that it's possible and perhaps it's one of the things we worry about. And as you mentioned during the break, it's because we're... Um, that's what a that's what a business person does. You you're trying to anticipate where your risks and your um, exposures are, and you're trying to make sure that you're covering that well. In you, addition to analyzing your opportunities, right? It's both sides. Yeah, and and you know, going back to that thing about um, real estate is even in this whole recovery, 
you know one thing that strikes me as really different this time? Um, it's not really been speculative. We haven't had a bunch of people buying because they think it's a, you know, the investment opportunity. You know, I don't see a whole lot of that. Most of the people that we've helped buy homes in the last four, five, six, seven years have just been um, working people putting a roof over their head, um, recognizing that owning real estate is an integral part of the overall wealth picture, and it's a critical component of being able to retire, um, dare I say, happy. Happy and comfortably. But I'm going to say this, too. On the uh, on the upside, uh, you know, there's a number of speculative projects going on around town right now, some big housing projects right over here off of Tank Farm Road. They're going to build a couple hundred new homes. Out there by Sarah Meadows, they're building more new homes. Right in the those are speculative. I mean, right when Diablo's like going to close, and all those people are going to sell, they're going to sell fifteen thousand, fifteen hundred houses. Surely you guys have heard about that. Want to bet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what you're just you're just suggesting that it's all around that we're just we're poised to to keep on moving forward no matter what. I think in the immediate future, I think look, I think a lot of people were. Uh, taken by surprise with this election. And so a lot of very vocal people are out there now with some doom and gloom because they don't know what to expect. This was a, an election that was totally off the charts for anything before. And so people on one side are saying it's gonna be great. And some people on the other side are saying it's doom and gloom because this guy's crazy uh, or for whatever reason. I haven't heard enough of the people that think it's great. Where because do I read about I those? Think, I think, where uh, are those people? The issue is that I don't think, if anyone sits here and tells you today they know exactly the policies that are going to be coming out in the next four years and what direction the economy or, you know, whatever is going, they're lying to you. No one really has a clear idea. So perhaps right now, going back to the first hour, you're pricing in some of that uncertainty while we wait to see how these things unfold. The thing that's really weird to me about this uncertainty component is that we've been conditioned for eight years that uncertainty means lower rates, more money in safety of bonds. And here we're having the exact opposite. We're seeing stock markets this hitting is where all I'm time highs. We're seeing rates go up three quarters of a point in three weeks. Um, isn't that kind of the opposite of the safety trade we've we've grown used to over eight years? And I almost wonder if if it's a scramble to get rates up so that you can drop them to, um, you know, be able to make corrective measures in the market if we need it. Because we don't know what's going to happen, you can't start out at the basement. So maybe it's like, quick. Let's have big rallies. We'll push everything up. We'll say it's in the guise of all this inflationary pressure. And then if we need to, we can give them back later to sort of put the shot in the arm that we might be missing if we don't have that tool in the bag. Let me throw this in. All markets, not just real estate market, but all markets hate uncertainty. And that's what we have right now because we just had an election where the polls were all wrong. Okay. There was a bunch of people that did not answer the polls that went and voted one way as opposed to what they thought was going to happen. Markets do not like uncertainty, and that's where we are. I think I think it's being priced in, like you just said. I think what Dan's saying is, you know, there are measurables out there that indicate we are in a positive place, and so people just don't know. I'm certain we need to take a commercial break. How's that? You ready for that? I guess I should have waited to see if, if Jim was stacked and ready. 
Jim is stacked and ready, locked and loaded, whatever you want to say. <laughs> there we go. Locked and loaded. There it is. More pie. Jim, there it is. fire when ready. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games, I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, guys, welcome back. We only have 12 more minutes. What'd you just say, Dan? It... Well, I was continuing on in this um, economic forecast report here. So that's divided up into sections, parts about the economy. This is specific to residential real estate. And it was just saying that that through much of 2015, we saw um, strong price appreciation, we saw strong sales, and that now in this, this went through the second quarter of this year, says that sales activity has um, actually slowed down. It's down 5% year to date. Um, existing single-family home sales. And we were just talking that that probably has a lot to do with inventory or lack thereof. Absolutely. Um, you know, th and then it gets into this pace of price appreciation. I mean, I, I know what I see year over year. In fact, this says year over year, we're about six, a little over 6% price appreciation on the median price. And that's what I've seen for the last year or two, it feels like. And I think that's kind of a healthy number. Yeah, uh, that's still above yeah. normal. Yeah. Uh, and it's not a rampant 15 to 20 percent, which should scare the heck out of everybody. Yeah, which was so. happening just a few short years ago. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it feels like we're in this spot where there's momentum in jobs. There's, you know, strong housing that could still stand to use some more inventory, help ease that pressure a little bit. Definitely. And then there's that big unknown of policy changes or potential policy changes. You know, and I think if, if you really look at our market in the past few months, the uh, over $750,000 market in San Luis, 750 to about 1.1, 1 1.2 million, that market has slowed some. 
And I think part of that is due to the, okay, let's just play it a little cautious right now and see what happens with this election, see what happens with the economy, see what happens in the new year. Because traditionally, this is a slower time in real estate right. anyway, as nobody really wants to move over the holidays. Uh, but I think beginning in February, March again, just like it always does, I think we're going to see those those prices, those values, and uh, inventory jump right up there again. I want to I want to hop back in here. Um, Lawrence Yun, mm-hmm. he's a chief um, economist for the National Association of Realtors. He contributes to um, Forbes, and there was an article written this week by Lawrence Yun um, outlining. 10 bullet points about what the Trump presidency um, and how it could impact real estate. Did you guys see this? Yeah, I went through it. I found it interesting. How uh, It it was a good read. It kind of told you both sides of how things could shake out. Kind of up the middle on both sides. And I'll I'll go through, kind of read you the first sentence of each of the 10 bullet points because they're, they're worth it. Um, wet your appetite. If you guys want to read it, you can go to Forbes.com and look this article up. But um, number one, there will no doubt be a short-term stimulus to the economy. Combination of tax cuts and government spending um, are going to provide a boost to the economy for the first half of 2017. Inflation will likely kick it a bit higher, but we're going to have fast GDP growth. Um, and it'll lead to moderately, modestly higher interest rates. Two, the trade deficit will rise a bit in 2017. I'm paraphrasing here, but because of the growing economy, Americans are going to be able to drink more Italian wine, drive German sports cars, watch Korean dramas, and play Japanese game consoles. So anyway, you're going to see us being able to import and enjoy greater consumption with our more bucks that we're going to have. Um, he says that the third point is that there's going to be more gyrations in the stock market. Wall Street will cheer because of less government regulation, but will frown on restrictive international trade policies. Nothing else needs to be said there. Changes to Dodd-Frank are number four. Um, lifting the cost of compliance imposed on small size banks like us. Um, yeah, and he goes on to say about 10,000 local and community banks have traditionally been the source for funding for construction land development loans. Um, and with less regulatory burden, these small banks can give more loans to boost the local economy and keep real estate growing. Um, number five, um, there could be a move away from the more stringent underwriting and um, back to more normal lending. You can't jump ahead and believe that we're going back to just the liar loans of exotic negam and all that crazy stuff that's built in there, but that maybe we'll, we'll start to move back a little bit more to normal. Fannie Mae is poised to come out with yet another variation of desktop underwriter. One of the goals is to expand more um, reduced appraisal requirements. We've been talking about this for months. Appraisals has been a tight spot in the market. There's not enough appraisers. The um, It's too burdensome to become an appraiser. They're not very relevant in a refinance transaction where somebody's not taking cash out and they've been paying their mortgage and for whatever reason they need to redo their loan into a shorter term or a lower rate that doesn't need an appraisal. So the system's being built up to sort of return that finding more often. Likewise with loans that are in the 417 to 5612 range for us. Um, anyways, that's part of number five. Um, 
Number six says there could be less regulatory land use and zoning burden for home construction. Meh, that's a local issue. And if you don't think so, let's go talk to Slow City, whether they think Trump is going to have a positive impact on what we're willing to zone for construction or how fast you're going to get through the onerous architectural review committee, the historical review, the ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Our planning um, department is its own burden. Number seven, I think, is one we could do a whole show on. Fannie and Freddie Mac may not survive. I think that's absolutely crazy to me. Um, the second sentence of his seventh bullet point here is that this would be most unfortunate. Let's hope that, like I said before, that the guy that grew up in real estate development and you know understanding housing and mortgage and all these things, let's hope that this guy actually does know how vital Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are to the success um, and basically just the the survivability of I think the housing system as it exists in this country um, completely. Number eight. Um, I think he starts trailing off here at the end. Community colleges are likely to get more help. Um, we need more workers as welders, plumbers, bricklayers, electricians, um, blah, blah, blah. Eight runs out of steam for me. Number nine, homeowners in flood zones who suffer natural disasters may get less relief from the government. Yeah. Okay. And number 10, um, there will be active discussions on tax reform. Um, kind of crazy. I was reading... One, oh, we're running out of time. Doggone it. I was, we were talking a lot about taxes last week, Dan, and what it looks like going forward. And saw, I saw a great article this morning um, about taxes and um, what was the reality of how complex the tax code is and what a shot in the arm we could get if we just simplified that. <laughs> this really, article, it said it was, it's the tax code's bigger than the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and they add 155,000 words a year to the tax code. It's been growing like behemoth crazy for a long time. Also suggested that people that make $40,000 or less a year in the U.S. have a negative tax rate are actually benefiting from tax code to a point where they're not only not paying, but they're actually getting credits back. Um, so anyway, that that's an interesting read. I, I ran through the bullet points of the, the whole just flyby for that thing for you guys. Um, I, I don't, you know, the, the unknowns there are, he makes these generalizations about that we're going to have some inflation and a, a little boost to GDP and stuff for the first part of 2017. I don't know how you can qualify that. I mean, this guy, he's probably smarter than I am, but maybe this boost to GDP comes out and then lasts for a few years. We don't know. Maybe he can't actually make a positive impact to GDP. Um, like I said, we're all just going to have to watch and see. Let me ask, let me just add this. I think he's a great economist. I think he's a very smart guy. But what happens if he's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. There's Nothing. no accountability. Okay, so, yeah, these are his thoughts. We could all write our top ten things of things that are going to happen. It's pure speculation. Yep. Uh, again, it's like it's like forecasting the weather. It's going to rain tomorrow. Oh, are you sure? No. It's, <laughs> it's getting cloudy. It's going to rain today, I think. Hey, we're... <laughs> We're running out of time here, and I want to get back to the focus, um, why we do the show. I mean, number one, we're basically just trying to have a forum and a dialogue where we can talk about this stuff openly from real life 
people that do this day in and day out. We're lucky enough to have Bruce come in today, not just because he brought and shared with us a pie, um, but um, you are one of the movers and shakers in, in San Luis Obispo right now in terms of real estate. I tried to nail you down earlier. Where on the list are you? You're somewhere on the list. I, You're I, a top producer. I, I am. Thank you. I Thank you for that. coming in today. Um, before the show today, we discussed we're probably going to end up having Bruce on here quarterly. So really fast, how can people get a hold of you if they want to use you today? Uh, you can reach me uh, email bfreeberg at gmail, and that's f r e e b e r g at gmail, or my phone number is eight zero five seven four eight zero one six one. His walk up song, by the way, needs to be the Freebird song, but Freebird. <laughs> we'll get that I'm loaded. Free. We'll get that loaded for and, next time. And Bruce has that about fifty pumpkin pies in his trunk. So the earlier you call him today, the fresher the pie your yeah. pie will be. Yeah. Um, guys, if you guys want loan help, uh, regardless of whether the sky's falling or not, let us help you. We're found at centralcoastlending.com or 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, We're doing a rerun next week, so we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks so much for being with us. 